Okay, well, why, why is it again that um, we've got this special stuff going on here today? What, what's the day called? Pe- Pentecost. Yeah, that's right. Pentecost. That's right. And uh, Pentecost, now you wouldn't be able to tell this by looking out, uh, you know, in the shopping malls and things like that, but Pentecost in the history of the church has been a far greater holiday, more important holiday than even Christmas because it was on this day, you know, that the Holy Spirit was given. And Pentecost first was a Jewish holiday. It was uh, a, uh, one of the most holy days of the year for the Jews. And they would come to the city of Jerusalem, which is why uh, there were people from all over the world when, uh, you know, in the uh, second chapter of Acts, we read about all these people coming from these different regions of the world with all those weird names and things in there, which reminds me that, you know, uh, some of you may have come to uh, the 530 service at some point in the past, and you might have seen how the elders have an expanded role at 5 o'clock where the elders will uh, read Scripture and things like that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Brother Dave Collins, he, he was, uh, you know, elder for the weekend, and, and last night he was here, and he was so sick. I mean, he was hacking up a lung last night. And, and so we sent them home, and it was afterwards I realized, wait a minute, Dave was supposed to read the Scripture, and wasn't it the second chapter of Acts with all those funny names and things in it that, boy, some people do anything to get out of reading that. <clears throat> you know, and today he's had a miraculous recovery. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. <clears throat> um, but glad you're feeling better today there, Dave. Uh, yeah, that's a good, good thing. And, and Al, good job on, on reading those names. Uh, you know, so what is this day all about? To really understand what this day is about, we, uh, I think, need to go back to the Old Testament, where in the Old Testament we can see the, uh, the talk of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit and, and the life-giving nature of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into Acts 2 as well, but we start there in the Old Testament. We see in, uh, for example, the prophet Ezekiel. Boy, have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? The book of Ezekiel is a tough book to sled through. It's a long book. It's a book of prophecy. It's a book that, uh, um, well, you, you, you meet this guy who, we, we don't need to read the scripture quite yet, but we need this, we, we meet this guy who is uh, really just totally sold out for the Lord, so much so that he will do anything that the Lord asks of him, no matter how ridiculous or silly it might appear to the rest of us. And one day, Ezekiel, the prophet, had a vision. And this vision that he had explains, I think, a good amount of what's taking place on the day of Pentecost. It's my favorite part of the book of Ezekiel. And there, what it is, in Ezekiel 37, beginning with the first verse, I'll read it for you now. It says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel writes, which means in prophet language, that God was with him, God was going to give him a word that would need to be shared with others for the purpose of impacting their lives. So the hand of the Lord was upon me. God was guiding him. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now in those days, battles were fought in valleys. You know, it's places where they could maneuver, and they could maneuver these large armies. And after a battle was done, uh, completed in in, in that valley, the victors may come in and bury their dead, but perhaps leave the ones on the field who um, were the losers in the battle. And you could come sometime later, and you could find artifacts from the battle. You could find spears or broken 
uh, spears or broken swords or shields and things like that, maybe a broken down chariot or something like that. And there in the valley you might also find the bleached bones of the soldiers who had fallen on the field of battle. So now Ezekiel is here coming into this valley in his vision that he's receiving from God. God is leading him into this into this place. And he's walking through this valley and it's filled as though there had been a great battle here and the valley was filled with these dried bones. And we meet up with him there. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw great many bones in the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And God asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, some of us may hear a song as we go through this. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how this word breath actually in the Hebrew language means three things, breath, wind, and spirit. So we can substitute these as, as we go and see which one maybe makes the most sense. All of them are used together. And uh, he says in verse 6, I will, attach tendons to, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you or wind or spirit in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath, life, spirit in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the wind, the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe, put spirit into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath, wind, spirit entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Those dry bones represented God's people. God's people who were alive during Ezekiel's day, they were faithless. They were without the Spirit of God. They were without the presence of God in their life. And because they were so faithless, they were sent into exile into Babylon. And they had to wonder, can this nation live? Can these dry bones live? Only if God were to send a fresh wind. Only if God were to send His Spirit. Ah, you alone know, Lord. It's this fresh wind that blew among the disciples of Jesus on that first Pentecost morning. We're on that day in Acts 2. It says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there's, that passage of Scripture is filled with detail, and detail is important in Scripture. 
Now, you know, if we look at Scripture and realize, you know, during that day and age, they didn't have, of course, things like computers or word processing software or spell checker or anything like that. So whatever words they put down on the page and what they would have is ink and papyrus, whatever words they would put there would be there really to stay. They would need to put words there that mattered. So we, when we see little details in Scripture, it's important to stop and ask, why are they there? What is it that it's talking about here? So first of all, what we can see here is this talk about this wind. It's not a gentle breeze. It's not this little breeze that is blowing, you know, through the branches and the palm trees. And, and why don't we, um, I'll, I'll refer to the passage of Scripture when we get to that, when we need to, to show that. Thanks. When we, uh, it's, not, it's not this gentle wind that's blowing. Instead, it is a violent wind. And it's kind of like, um, and, and also in, in, in this passage, it's talking about the sound of the wind. And it, it's not saying that the wind itself blew, but it's referring to the sound. I mean, if, the, if you're getting the sound of a violent wind, but you're not seeing the effects of the wind, like the wind is not actually blowing, you're just getting the sound of it, that would be freakier or yet, you know. But what I think that it's referring to there is kind of like when people are in a tornado, and even though the effects of the tornado, the effects of the wind are just going like crazy, you can see things flying around and all. What really people comment on is not that. What they're commenting on is the sound. It sounds like a freight train coming. Or this is the kind of wind that tears shingles off of rooftops. This is the kind of wind that, you know, if you watch the Weather Channel and you see some nutty weathercaster who's in the middle of a hurricane and he's grabbing onto a, a handrail to keep from being blown away. You know, this is that kind of a wind that's blowing through this room where the disciples are gathered. This is that kind of a detail that it's relating to us. This is a terrifying wind. And the kind of, the kind of wind that causes people to stand up and take notice in the room and outside of the room. One thing you've got to say for God, he knows how to make an entrance. You know, and he got their attention. And then as this wind is blowing, this violent wind and the sound of the freight train or whatever it is, and then they see what they describe as little tongues of fire coming on the wind all over the place. Now, then as now, I mean, you, you shout fire in a movie theater or something, you know, people panic. And, and then, you know, when they see fire, actual fire, there's sparks and, and coals and things on the tips of the wind as it comes in and then it comes to each one of them this is like you know if you're watching a fire in a fireplace or in a campfire or something like that and you see the flames licking up these are those those little licks of of flame you know which is why we've got things like you know the red here is for that flame of pentecost coming and oftentimes in scripture god is depicted as being in fire like in the burning bush in moses and it comes to each one of them uh, like the coal that came to Isaiah at his call and touched his lips to ordain him to speak God's word. It comes now to each one. And here's the thing, is that it m makes a point of describing how the individual believer is important. It doesn't come to them generally, it comes to them individually. So that each one experiences the gift of the Spirit. And they are fundamentally changed because the Spirit comes on each one of them and, and they begin to speak in strange tongues that they didn't know how to speak before. And I'm thinking, why didn't I get that gifting of the Spirit back in college when I was studying German? I mean, I could have used it back then. But these people are speaking in these strange tongues. This is the thing, is that when the Spirit comes to us, 
And the Spirit is a gift that is given to believers. When the Spirit comes to us, it comes to us to, as a gift from God every bit as much as the gift of salvation itself, the gift of, what, of forgiveness from God comes to us as, as a gift. It is not something that we earn. It's something that comes to us as a gift from God. So on that day, on that day, God sent his gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And when he did so, Paul describes it this way in, in Galatians chapter 5, when he says these words, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where if we were just to take one of those things, you know, that, that when the Spirit comes to us, it gives us different things. Self-control, for example, what that means is that He gives to us something that we would not normally have, at least not to that measure, without Him. And self-control, I think, is a great one to have in that list because these days self-control seems to be in short supply in our society. But with God's Spirit, when we live by the Spirit anyway, when we walk by the Spirit, when we allow Him to lead us, when we allow Him to have His hand on us, He gives us things like self-control. And in Scripture, it also talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Those are the fruits, meaning that it is the result of Him being present with you. The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural. They are more than just simply talents given to you at birth which are also gifts from God. But the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural in nature. There are things that give you a certain extra dose of something to be able to equip you to be able to serve the Lord in a particular capacity. The point being that the Spirit of God changes a person. It makes them different because God is in their life. Now, Scripture says that when all this took place, the disciples were in a room. We don't know where that room was, but we do know that the disciples, once they received the gift of the Spirit, they were not cloistered there. They went out into the public realm, and they began to share the wonderful things that God had done. And some of those that they went out to began to come up with some pretty wild theories as to what was going on. In uh, the Scripture that we read a little while ago, that version it refers to it as uh, calling them uh, not just drunk, but people who had sweet wine. Now, why sweet? I don't know, you know, but, but that they were drunk. Now, here's the thing, is that when you have the Spirit in your life, when you take a stand for Jesus, you may find that not everybody understands that. As a matter of fact, you may find that some people will even mock you for taking that stand for Jesus, that that can happen. But Peter set them straight. So, quoting from the prophet Joel, Peter demonstrated that that this, what was taking place, was the fulfillment of prophecy. And then he went on to really fulfill another prophecy from Joel, uh, which is this one that I'll read for you now, Joel chapter 2, where it says these words, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. In those days, I'll, I'll keep reading in just a second, but, but in those days... What they would do if they were going through a period of mourning or a period of repentance, what they would do is they would, they would well, first take, take some dust or some dirt from the ground and throw it up in the air and dump, dump it over their head. And they would take their clothing and they would tear it. They would rip it. And it would be this outer display of this, um, this repentance, this uh, mourning, this, this turning. 
but the problem with that is that it can be just a show. It can just be for show. It can be, uh, hey, look at me, aren't I? Man, I'm worn big time here. I got buckets of dirt over my head, and I'm, man, I'm ripping all my clothes here. So the Lord says, now, rather than that, do something that isn't for show. Do something that really matters. Rip your heart open. Let God enter so that your heart is no longer hard. It's no longer resisting God. Instead, it is welcoming to God. It's throwing the door open to God. Let him in. And then this is what happens. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, which is exactly what he did with the Spirit on that first day of Pentecost. Blessed because you have returned to the Lord, because you've made room in your heart for him. And there he is. So Peter told them all about Jesus. So back to Acts 2, 37. When the, Peter, when, when the people heard what Peter said, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, and your children, and for all who are far off, for all on whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, it's for you. It's for me. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. Now, according to Acts 1, the disciples prior to this moment in time numbered a little over 100. You know, oftentimes we think about the disciples as just being that inner group of 12, but that's just the inner group of the disciples. There was a little over 100. But now that little over 100 expanded to 3,000. Why? Because the Spirit of God entered into the lives of people whose hearts were rendered and opened to Him, and He used them to share that good news. And people believed. Imagine what God might do through us today. When we return to him, rend our hearts, rip them open to him, and allow him to enter in powerfully. But violent windstorms and bits of fire coming near our heads are a little disconcerting to some. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit can be scary business, which is why it takes trust. It takes trust in Jesus that he means this for a blessing and not for harm. He means it for good. Now, the disciples of the first Pentecost, they were open to such things. And the people on that first Pentecost, they needed a fresh movement of God. They needed a fresh wind. Like Ezekiel's dry bones, they needed new life. Jesus had been crucified. Let's go through it here. What, what were they facing? Jesus had been crucified. He, yes, he was raised from the dead, and that was an exciting thing, but he appeared to very few people, relatively speaking. He didn't appear to all these thousands that uh, turned to Jesus on that Pentecost day. And that means that the vast majority of people, uh, for them, the resurrection of Jesus was mere rumor. It wasn't fact. 
But now, with all that was taking place, what they could see was God moving in the lives of people. And by God moving in the lives of people and by His church being put together, it's like those bones that Ezekiel was seeing in the field being put together and there's being this life form that's now called the church. They could see that Jesus was truly alive and He was living in people like you and me. And He was living in His church. And they were going out and they were doing things and they were transforming their world. Now, if you and I were betting people back in that day and age... I don't think that we would have bet on this ragtag bunch of people from Galilee, this region of the country that was referred to as worthless by some in the history of that land, as being ones who would transform the Roman Empire and the entire world. But they did. They did because God's Spirit was in them and with them and using them. And that strong wind was blowing they became a countercultural movement that transformed their world. And here's the good news, is that today, today, we have that opportunity as well. We live in a time that is a perilous time for the faith. It's a perilous time. It's no, no longer politically correct. And now I have to say it's politically incorrect to be a believer in Jesus. It is that. Every day there seems to be something new that goes against both common sense and against um, the faith of our fathers that we can read about in the media or hear about. Every day we could look around and say of our generation, as Peter said of his generation, and rightly so, we could say this truly is a corrupt generation. And the church of Jesus Christ seems to be in retreat. A hostile world defines us not by who it is that we are for or what it is that we are for, but by what it is that we are against. But the wind has begun to blow. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the forecast, what you're going to see and hear is wind warnings. Wind warnings because the wind has begun to blow through the lives of believers like you and me. And in that early church, in that first Pentecost, individual believers at that first Pentecost were being knit together, united to form that church that transformed its world with a countercultural movement. Well, today, we also have the opportunity to be that countercultural movement in a corrupt generation. In our day today, what we can see is that there's a sifting that's taking place when it's no longer politically correct to be a believer and to follow Jesus. What happens is the sifting, leaving behind those people who truly are seeking Jesus and seeking His Spirit. And that's what we have today. Uniting believers as in Ezekiel's vision so that we are united into what he described as a mighty army. And this army called the church, Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot, cannot prevail against it. And this all begins with you and me. The fresh wind is for us. So today, rend your hearts. Tear them open so that God may enter in on this Pentecost day 